you please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be hearing from God in His Word this morning from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This is God's holy and sufficient word, our rule of faith and life. Let's hear it now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is my comfort in my affliction. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you, uh, I, I know that some of you are runners, avid runners. Running is something that I used to enjoy, that I used to look forward to. In high school, I mean, all four years, ninth through 12th grade, uh, more days than not, I got up early before the sun would rise and tried to get some miles under my shoes. And more often than not, I, me and a couple of friends would get together, usually about 4.30, and drive out to Grenada Lake and hit some of the trails. We have some steep ones in Grenada. It almost feels like you're getting near the foot of the Smoky Mountains on some of those trails. And we would run them till we could barely feel ourselves breathing. And uh, when time allotted, even get a chance sometimes to get into the Word uh, together. But uh, there used to be something that I enjoyed, that I looked forward to, that if it, if it didn't happen, it threw my whole day off. Well, that has not been the case for some time. Uh, these days, not so much multiple leg and back injuries uh, later coupled with me preferring pretty much any type of exercise other than running. If you see me running, you should probably call 911 because somebody's chasing after me. But even when I was really, really into running, I have always hated treadmills and set tracks, whether it be an indoor or an outdoor track. They are the absolute worst. Uh, They're miserable because there's not an end in sight. This just staying on a track or running a loop around a football field, this just never-ending loop, it it gets to your head. Uh, It would break my will down. It's monotonous. And as a result, it becomes a a purely mental task, just a few laps in, to keep desiring to keep going, to not slow down, to actually finish whatever distance you had set to accomplish that day. It was hard for me to find the motivation to do any type of treadmill or track running as a result, and maybe some of y'all feel the same. Well, this passage in Hebrews uses the imagery of running, of a race for our lives. Uh, The text at hand is sort of a a warning gun being fired that the last few laps of the race are starting. It's the command and call to see our life as a race to be run with zeal and passion and energy and discipline. It shouldn't be monotonous. It shouldn't be just trudged along one step after the other. Here in the text, it doesn't just say that we're being dragged across the finish line, does it? But that we run the race with endurance. And so the author wants us to not slow down. 
uh, but to do what any seasoned racer does, and if anything, here in these last few laps, speed up and give it our all. And the road ahead for us is not a smooth one. It's not a smooth one. It's a lot more like the roads in Jackson, filled with cracks, filled with potholes and hills, which make it hard work, difficult work. And so how can we hope to finish this race, let alone do it in the way that the author of Hebrews intends, which is to finish it with endurance and speed? Well, Paul here gives us three things that we need to do, three things to keep in mind so that we can finish this race and not just barely be dragged across the finish line, but to run across it with some energy left in the tank. And we do it by looking back to witnesses, forward to joy, and up to Jesus. Back to witnesses, forward to joy, and up to Jesus. And so we see first in verse 1 that we run this race with endurance. We finish it strong and well by looking back to witnesses. Verse 1, the author tells us, we, we run this race how? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Like with most races, if you've ever done a 5K or, or a half marathon, that was my limit. Never did any more than that, never desired to do any more than that. But if you've ever ran a race of any sort, there's usually a crowd there, especially towards the finish line, pressed in on both sides of the road, watching. And here in this context, in Hebrews, these are the saints. These are the saints of the church, both those folks described in chapter 11, that, that hall of faith as it were, and also all the other Christians who have since come and gone. And I think I would argue even the saints who are alive today who have ran much of their race before us. This motivates us exactly how it would in a physical race. Now, again, I, I'm not a big runner. I, I, it's miserable, right? I don't know if y'all have ever heard... Uh, if you begin your day with running, it's a good thing to begin your day with running because at least then nothing's going to make it worse. And, and I really feel like that about running. It, it is the worst type of exercise. I'm not big into it. I, I would rather be lifting weights or doing pretty much anything else. But I have found something to be consistently true with any form of exercise, at least for me. And that is that I do better that I can lift heavier, that I can put up more weights when I have a partner lifting with me who's watching me, who's holding me accountable, who's, whose eyes are on me, right? If I'm just at my house by myself, I might slack a little bit, right? I might just put a couple plates on, but if I've got a buddy there hyping me up, right, I want to put those extra weights on. I'm almost tempted to try to hurt myself, and I think most of us are like that. When we have witnesses, someone watching us, it motivates, it encourages. Now, Paul refers to them as witnesses, and this might be a little bit confusing because it's really, I don't think Paul's focus here is saying that they are witnesses to our race. They're in the presence of our Lord in heaven. They're, they're not really watching you and me. Their eyes are already fixed on Jesus. I think it's rather to say that they are close enough for us to watch them and to learn from their example as we're, we're ending those last few laps and wanting to give up and just sit down and get a cold glass of sweet tea uh, instead, you see that they have just ran it, that they have just finished it, that someone has gone before you. We can watch them and see how the race should be ran in faith. Uh, we can look to the great crowd of saints ahead, of these witnesses, and see that every single one of them, despite what hardships, what potholes were in their way, they finished their race. We can look even to the older saints who are alive today. Younger folks, ladies, gentlemen, those of you in middle school, high school, college, 
you can look to the older saints that are right here in New Covenant and see how they are running their race. This is the encouragement here. They are witnesses, both those who have passed and those who are still around to God's sovereign hand in the Christian's life. To God's omnipotent power that preserves in suffering and hardship and to His fatherly love that remains even when we trip and fall down. We can look to the plethora of examples of those who finished the race, who kept endurance in every situation imaginable, and it should bring encouragement to us to finish our race. There's Abraham. Consider Abraham, who left everything he'd ever known, his family, probably a great amount of his wealth, everything that was familiar to him, and left and went to a strange place. And yet we read that he finished. There's Sarah. Sarah, who was unable to bear children until she was almost 100, and yet she finished her race. There's Job who lost home and possessions, children and health, basically everything the TV evangelist promised, Job lost every bit of it. And yet he finished. There's David. There's David who committed adultery and murder. And yet he finished his race. There's Joseph who was betrayed by his very own brothers, sold into slavery, wrongly accused of rape, thrown in prison. And yet Joseph finished his race. There's John the Baptist with arguably one of the most disgusting diet plans that you could ever be put on. His uncomfortable wardrobe who was arrested and decapitated and yet John the Baptist finished his race. There's Paul himself who likely is the author of Hebrews who left his prominence, was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, bitten, imprisoned and eventually martyred and yet Paul finished his race. And honestly, if we were to go through church history, as church history records it, every single one of the apostles had rough lives, beaten, brutally martyred, and yet they finished their race. As we look to maybe a little bit more recent church history, you have men like Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli who were opposed at every turn by civil magistrates and by the Roman Catholic leadership, and yet they finished their race. And obviously we have Christ, but that's a point for the end of the sermon. The roads weren't easy then. They weren't smooth. They weren't paved. They were often uphill. Yet all of these brothers and sisters who came before us ran their race and finished it well. And we can now look to them, both the saints of old and the brothers and sisters who are older than us still in the church today, and see how they either did finish their race or how they are finishing their race. And be encouraged and be motivated to do well ourselves. And so Paul gives us the first encouragement here that we should look back to witnesses. Look back to witnesses and realize that we too can run the race before us with endurance and finish well. Graduated seniors... As you go off to college and employment and begin your adult lives, remember the examples of the faithful saints before you, both of old and the ones still around, so that you will finish your race and run it well with endurance. Honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father and your mothers and fathers in the faith by running your Christian race well. 
We look back to witnesses. And secondly, we look forward to joy. Author of Hebrews tells us in verse 2 that Jesus himself endured the cross and scorned its shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. This is no doubt, no doubt likely the most overlooked reason for running the race. It's easy for runners to get so caught up in training and in the, pa- the pains of the race itself that they start focusing all their attention on their legs that are hurting, the sweat beating off their head, how much more they've got left, and they forget to focus on the joy of the prize that awaits them. And we too must look forward to that joy, to that award, to that reward that sets before us. All of those joys set before us and promised in the Gospels which have been abundantly given to us. We could consider just a few of them. In John 10, Jesus tells us that I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And have it abundantly. In Revelation 2, the Lord tells us, do not be afraid. I will give you the crown of life. And remember, brothers and sisters, he is not a man that he should lie. In 1 John 5, we're told that this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. The creator of the cosmos, brother and sister, hears you. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4 that the Lord will rescue you from every evil attack. And he will bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 that in his great mercy... In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. These are not just pipe dreams. The Lord has promised you these blessings in his word, and he will keep his word and his promise. We are promised in Isaiah 35. That everlasting joy will on that day crown your heads. Gladness and joy will overtake you. And sorrows and sighing will flee away. Are your eyes fixed on the prize? On the joy that is set before you? This is what we keep in mind as we go through the day-to-day difficulties. That this is not all there is. Brothers and sisters know this. That we have much more than applause awaiting us at the finish line. We have real joy, real reward. Christ himself, no more sorrow, no more grief. Physically glorified resurrection bodies. We have real and lasting rewards which will never fade. So we run the race. We run it well. And we run it with endurance. Looking forward to the joy which is set before us. Even though the present may be filled with every kind of tribulation and distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, and even death, we read in His Word that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know this. At least we do doctrinally, right? At least we do up here. And yet I think each of us still has a tendency as the week goes on to begin to coast. To begin to slow down, to take our eyes off the prize. We get distracted. 
we easily get distracted. And instead of looking at the finish line, instead of looking at what awaits us, we begin to think about how nice it would be to just sit back in our chair and take a breather. Sometimes the world and the flesh and the the devil use these as temptations to lure us away with momentary pleasures. C.S. Lewis has this for us to think about. He says that if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We, like an ignorant child, Lewis writes, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And is that not the truth? Seniors, college, it's going to be a blast. It, it is. And there are so many aspects of being an adult and being on your own that are, that are fantastic, that you're going to love. I, I, I've, I've not met anyone... Uh, mine and Carly's age that when asked about high school, sure, we have fond memories. I, I wouldn't trade where I'm at now to be back in high school. And, and you're going to feel the same way, I promise. College is going to be a blast. Being an adult, getting to make decisions on your own is going to be a fun and good thing. And it, and it should be. But there's also more challenges and temptations and stresses than you can even possibly fathom right now. And in the midst of those hard times, I would encourage you with this. Look forward to the joy that is set before you. Look forward to the promise. Look forward to the promises of the gospel that Christ has given you in his word. If we want to stop coasting and if we want to run the race with endurance, even when it's uphill, we look back to witnesses, forward to joy. But lastly, and definitely most importantly, we do so by looking up to Jesus. There's always a tendency for us to hear the commands of the scriptures or even what we've seen so far in Hebrews, uh, this command, this instruction and encouragement to run the race and, and get to a point where we start acting and thinking as though the race depends on us. That it depends on what I do, on what I strive, on what I accomplish. But that is never how it works. And Paul makes that unashamedly clear in verses 2 through 3. We read there that we do this by looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. There's one little section of scripture that you take away, those two verses. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Paul tells us that if we are to run the race, if we are to finish the race, let alone do so well and with endurance, we have to look to Jesus. We have to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. We have to consider Jesus. We have to turn our eyes upon Jesus. It is Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the starter and the finisher of our race. It is Christ who is our cornerstone and our sure foundation of our faith. It is Christ who is the Alpha and Omega. 
It is Christ who is our regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. The Jesus who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. So we look, look not to yourselves, but to Jesus. Not to your works, but to His. Not to your faithfulness, but to Christ's. This is how you run the race with endurance all the way to the finish line. Look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The Bible does my job as a preacher here and gives me a wonderful illustration of what this looks like. To run the race by looking to Jesus and the gospel story of Peter and Jesus on the lake. Y'all are familiar with the story in the middle of a horrible storm. Jesus walks out to meet his disciples on the boat in the middle of a large lake and they are absolutely terrified as any reasonable human being would be. Uh, I, I don't... I don't, I don't do well with big, large, open bodies of, of water at all. If the Lord wanted us to be out there, he would have given us fins. Let alone when a storm comes in. Absolutely not. I don't care how big the boat is. There's no amount of money in the world to make me want to do it. It's perfectly reasonable that they were terrified. Perfectly reasonable that they were terrified. They're just trying to survive like we so often are. And, and yet as Jesus walks out to them on the water, Peter... We always give Peter grief. We always like to dogpile on the apostles for their lack of faith. I, I guarantee you if any of us were in the situation, we would not be doing as well as Peter. Peter at least begins to walk out on the water. Even in the midst of the storm, even with the winds, even in the odds, even though he had to have been terrified, he does so in faith and begins to walk towards Christ. Swirling winds around him, torrential rain beating down, lightning and thunder likely in the background, sounding throughout the sky. His clothes would have been drenched, probably would have been cold, body being pushed to and fro by the wind. And yet despite all of this, Peter doesn't get back in the boat and begin to coast. He, he walks towards Jesus. How? By fixing his eyes upon him. And we're encouraged by this. But we're also warned because we, we know how the story finishes out. What happened the moment that Peter took his eyes off Christ? What happened the moment he took his eyes off his Savior and looked down at his circumstance at the water below? What happened? He began to plunge beneath the waves. And brothers and sisters, I would offer you this this morning. That the same will and does happen to us when we don't live as though we have horse blinders fixed upon our face. With Christ as our fixed target, we begin to plunge beneath the waves of sin and despair and life. Never enough if we have already been truly saved to be forsaken, but enough to sometimes barely be able to stay afloat and above the waves. And so the takeaway is, I think, pretty straightforward. We must keep Jesus always in our line of sight. Like nothing else matters. Like there are horse blinders fixed to either side of our face. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And thereby run your race with endurance well to completion. As we conclude, I want us to consider how to apply this message. And actually be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. Our text makes it clear that though we are not without responsibility. If we want to run a race, 
we must first be in shape. We get in shape how? By laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We can't run the race well if we're weighed down. It's one thing to say, okay, I need to look to Jesus. But how do I do that? How do I actually do that? Okay, Sunday, easy enough. We have two services. You come to Sunday school, come to Sunday morning worship, come to Sunday evening service. You barely get time to get a nap in between. Sunday kind of takes care of itself. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What about, what about the rest of the week? How do I do this? How do I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus? The answer isn't flashy. It might even sound a little boring. It's not new. It's not a 12-step plan. It's simply this. If you are a Christian, utilize the ordinary means of grace. What does that look like? It looks like reading your word. Meditating and memorizing the word. Not neglecting the assembling of yourselves and actually being present here with your brothers and sisters in Christ for worship. These are the means that Christ has given us for our sanctification. This is how we lay aside those weights. This is the means that we use to help us keep our eyes fixed on Him. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to be a little bit blunt this morning. The weight that is keeping you from running is your own dead, unregenerate heart. And it's not something that you can lay aside on your own. If that is the case... Come before Him now. Pray to the gracious Lord and Savior and Creator of everything that if possible He may forgive you your sins and the intentions of your heart. You must come before Him in faith and repentance. This is the first step. It does not matter if you are unregenerate. If Christ has not saved you and filled you with His Holy Spirit, it does not matter how much you go and read your Word. It doesn't matter how consistently you're here on Sunday mornings. If you are unregenerate, you cannot finish the race. You haven't even began it. So turn to Christ. Run to Christ. Seniors, you're about to be on your way. You're no longer going to be in your parents' house. You're going to be hours, miles away from home. You're going to go off to college, you're going to make new friends in a new place, learn new things, make new and wonderful, great experiences, pick a career. You're going to mature as individuals and learn how to make decisions on your own from little things to big things and everything in between. You're going to potentially even meet future spouses and before you mock, I would remind you that Carly and I got married before I even graduated. We met my freshman year at MC. It happens. All of this is exciting and fun and should be celebrated. It is a gift from the Lord. But in the midst of it, you are also going to likely be more challenged on what you believe and who you are than at any other point in your life before leading up to this. Whether it be from professors or friends or just the culture as a whole, or even from maybe sometimes the very things that the Lord has given you to bless you with, If improperly viewed, you will be challenged on what you believe and who you are at every turn. And in the midst of that, my encouragement and my challenge to you this morning, seniors, is to stay focused on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Him. Keep your eyes on Him. 
consider him. What does that look like? When you're experiencing move-in week in just probably a few weeks to a month, in the midst of picking classes, figuring out your dorm, learning the campus, trying to make good first impressions, more so than considering what others think, what your peers think, what your professors think, or even what your parents think. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes and your heart and your mind fixed upon Jesus. This is the most important thing. Worry more about what Jesus thinks than your peers and your professors and your classmates. When you're making new friends, deciding what type of people you will entrust yourself to as confidants and companions. When you're deciding where to go on Friday evening, instead of considering what everyone else is doing and what everyone else wants you to do, stay focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. When you're posting or sharing to social media, more so than considering what is popular or what will get retweets or shares, stay focused on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you're going on dates and young ladies trying to decide if the young man that you're on this date with is who you want to be with, instead of focusing on those traits and similarities which are fleeting, focus on Jesus. Consider Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Him. Be more concerned with plugging into a quality campus ministry and finding a faithful local church. Be more concerned and focused upon those decisions than you are with figuring out what sorority or club is the best fit for you. Do your homework and studying and projects to the best of your ability, to the glory of God, not for yourself, not for your teachers, not even for your parents, but to the glory of God. Make more time. Make more time for studying the Word and for prayer than for going to the gym. And may the Lord forbid it that you would make time to do all your homework assignments perfectly, get to the end of the semester and have straight A's, but come out of that semester knowing that you made no time to spend with the Lord in the Word and in prayer. May it not be so. Be more concerned with eternal holiness than momentary happiness, with what the Lord thinks than what men and women think. And for parents, for parents, certainly pray for your children's grades, classes, friendships, relationships, future careers, absolutely, most certainly, pray for all those things. But would you also endeavor to pray more for their faith, to pray more for their daily Bible studies and their prayer. To pray more for their campus ministries. To pray more for the local church that they plug into. To pray more for their holiness. Seniors and parents, stay focused. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Consider Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reading and the preaching of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would take it and that you would wield it. That your word which has gone forth, that it will accomplish the purpose for which you have purposed it. Lord, that we would be 
doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving ourselves, Lord, that we would take it to heart, that we would remember it, that we would apply it. Father, we pray that as a result of all that we do here this morning, that Christ would be glorified, that his kingdom would be furthered, and that his saints here at New Covenant would be edified, encouraged, and built up. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.